Well, good morning for today's Lots of Matzah Pizza podcast. We have Brian Bartlett from Boston, Massachusetts. Brian is a hockey advisor and hockey agent at the Bartley Hockey uh, Agency. Uh, he and his father and brother, Scott, uh, run a great agency with several clients from Minnesota. And we're going to talk a little bit about the business side of hockey as well as some trends in the hockey business. I hope you today hope to, you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire All right, uh, we have Brian Bartlett on the line. How are you doing today, Brian? Very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, this should be a fun show. Uh, definitely diving into a different side of the business, the agency and advisory business. Uh, before we talk about what what an agent and advisor is, let's get a little bit of background on who you are and your agency, your agency's website, all that fun stuff. Uh, uh, talk a little bit about your you know your past. You you played you played hockey growing up. Where did you grow up and and where did you where did your hockey path lead you? I did. So I grew up in Rochester, New York, um, where I, I did play hockey, not amazingly well. So found a very good way and lucky way to kind of stay in the game that I love and have a passion for without being particularly talented in it. But I grew up playing uh, Rochester Junior Americans uh, all the way through and played high school and a little bit of Junior B in Rochester and found out pretty soon that I was not going to make money playing hockey. So just ended up and played club um, at college, which I really enjoyed and then kept an eye on things and, and tried to kind of work my way into the business side of it as quick as I could. And, and was lucky having my father, Steve, who started our agency, uh, which we now call Bartlett hockey. We rebranded, uh, about six months ago, just to tie it a little bit back to kind of the family business that it is. Cause we'd always go in and be in rinks and say, Hey, I'm Brian Bartlett. I'm an agent and say, what agency are you with? And we didn't ever really know what to say. So we said, I don't know, Bart- Bartlett hockey is what we're going to be, which I think ties into, the, into that. So was lucky that my father started the business a while ago and then had been able to ride his coattails a little bit. And now for the last 15 years, I've been working full-time at it and, um, trying to evolve a little bit so the agency what was the agency called before you rebranded yourself we, ca- we called it sports consulting group okay. was was the previous name of it um which is even is a little bit again kind of in a different era when my father started there was probably only five or six agents that were doing it um so it was different it was kind of hey we want to he wanted a name that um portrayed kind of what we did and and the consulting piece of it is really the heart of what we do is we're helping families and kids and pros kind of navigate the different directions that can lead to them moving up the world in, in hockey. So I think that was, was a good name for it. But now we've been lucky enough, as I said, that my dad kind of forged the path and has built a, a really nice reputation and, and connections. And Scotty and I have been trying to follow along that path and, and build it too. And, and we felt like, you know, putting our name on it, even though it feels a little, uh, a little weird, weird naming something after yourself um it, it's what most of our clients called us anyway say hey we're working with a bartlett so we right. thought that was a little more a little more fitting so you have uh, how big of a company is bartlett hockey is it just uh, dad and two brothers or is there a support it, it, staff it, it, i don't know no, they're, they're, i run a yeah. small business and people think i'm the only one who run this business i'm like well actually we have about 12 employees like no way i'm like yeah there's a lot of support that comes into so you, to running a business you are a much bigger company than us. And we have right, just the three. Right. Yeah. It's my dad, Steve, myself, my brother, uh, we're spread out a little bit geographically. So my dad's still in Rochester. My brother, uh, Chicago. Scott is in Chicago. Yep. And I'm in, in Boston. And then we have, um, Julie, who's kind of a administrative assistant, um, who's been in Rochester been working with my dad for, for almost a whole run about 30 years. So she helps a lot. And then, um, you know, kind of a network of people that we rely on, but, but don't work with us or for us, just kind of friends and former clients that, that are in different places that, um, you know, we talk to and keep an eye out a little bit, but it's, uh, it's just the three of us. And that's, that's really how we like it. Cause we want to have every interaction with the person, if it's from watching a, you know, a high school game all the way to watching an NHL game or negotiating a contract, we think it's important to, to kind of have that be the same people. And, and a bunch of different agencies have, have various models and they work well for everybody. This is one that we've really settled on and, and really like. And then how can someone find out more information for you? What's the website? 
It's BartlettHockey.com. So it's our last name, B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T, Hockey.com. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, all right. So before we get into too much, there's a couple family things. I Before we hit the record button, I could hear some kids screaming in the background. Tell me about your uh, family life and where you live and, and a little bit of personal information about you. Oh, we, we did. I tried to We're in quarantine here, so they're now in <laughs> double quarantine. I put them in the, the quiet room. We'll With see how that goes. Any duct tape you, you needed? Very, any duct you tape will needed? very likely hear them come flying at me here in a couple minutes i'm not sure we'll be able to get through a quiet hour but uh i, I have three kids we have two uh two little boys five and three and a new baby girl oh, who's congratulations five five months so we're enjoying it and that's very much the silver lining of this uh nhl pause and, and cancellations of of the hockey world is i was saying i don't think for 15 years i've had two weekends in a row that I've been home and able to, you know, have dinner on a Saturday night um, with the kids and wife. So we're trying to enjoy this time best we can um, while keeping busy and, and keeping motivated. But that's been the silver lining of this crazy time we got in 2020 of um, a little more family time. Yeah, it's been, for me as well, it's been fantastic. Uh, I have a son in college who had to come home from school at I- in Iowa, and we've had family dinner every night for 10, 15 straight nights, and yeah. I'm telling you, it's not getting old. I, I mean, some, some, some of the coronavirus, maybe stuff's getting a little bit old, but the being with family and puzzles and games and just all this stuff, it's like an extended winter break. I've actually, I'm kind of enjoying it, to be honest with you. Uh, How's it working keeping your quarantine stockpile of food with a college kid? And I can only imagine my five-year-old can tell our stuff. It literally. Like, this is supposed to be for a month. What are we doing? Stop you know, it. to be honest with you, the beer is harder to keep uh, than the food. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. I need one every night myself. I can only imagine a couple people around. Yeah, so it's been fun. All right, so one more question before we dig into this. This is, I, I think this is a fascinating question is, you know, most people, they grew up and their dad's a doctor, dentist, lawyer, you know, work at a factory, whatever. They have a normal job, right? Your dad did not have a normal job. What was it like growing up with a dad with us as a sport sports agent? Yeah, it was looking back, you can see how lucky we were when we were in it. I don't think you ever realized that it's any different. You just figure every, every family's got guys coming over to have some really really competitive knee hockey games in the basement and mini sticks and right. like, well, these, these, my dad's friends are really good at hockey. Why, why is that? Um, so that was, you know, a lot of it, it, it was going and in the same way now that I try to spend as much time with, with my kids and, and family and, t- and tied together. My dad did a great job of that too. So that was a lot of it on Wednesday nights. We'd be going to Rochester Americans AHL games. And then we go down in the locker room and, and see those guys. And, and, and now as we're looking back, it's kind of interesting because some of those guys, kids now are pro players that we're representing so it's kind of the second generation that's come through and those guys i was you know again playing mini sticks with or throwing bubble gum at each other in the amherst locker room or the sabers locker room or, or stuff like that so looking back we were amazingly lucky to do it but you know there we had some stories of of going like there'd be guys that would be playing and you know their lease would end up and they would end up kind of sleeping in our basement for a couple of weeks but in looking right. back they were probably they're probably 20 years old right like for me yeah. there's this old guy like what's this guy doing but you know they're 20 probably just out of college or major junior we're playing pro and then it was the same it was every day we were playing we had unfinished basement where we just fire pucks with these guys so we were we were really lucky to have it and the skill level didn't necessarily rub off on me, but I did a pretty good job for my brother, I think, who yeah. uh, soaked it in a little more and he got to play a little bit of pro. And I think a lot of that was, was just kind of being around it and being in the culture. And in the same way that you see now, like a lot of the kind of second generation of guys and you hear a lot of times in scouting, like, oh, he's a coach's kid. He gets it. He knows the culture. He knows that. I think we were really lucky, my brother and I, to grow up in kind of the same way in that agency business that we right. understand that, that these clients have – things that from the outside world is like oh, okay you know it might not seem super important but for this guy or that player or that family this is their only time through it so which team they're going to play for if they're going to get a contract that it's stressful if you're getting into august and you don't have a place to play if you're a pro because you have to feed yeah. your family and you have to feed your kids so that stuff we just kind of grew up around and never and it really i think colors how we still view the business now because it was never like hey this is going to be a really sexy business to get into where we can make tons of money and and get nice cars and stuff it was just like okay well this is just what we do this is you just try to help people out so and especially when my dad started out these guys were making 
20 grand in the American League. Yeah. Maybe. You know, so he was barely making it. It wasn't like a, a highly compensated profession. It wasn't a great way to make a ton of money. Um, you know, we've been lucky to kind of ride the wave of, of salaries escalating. And, right. it, and it's, it's been now that we're where we can support three of our family members out of it, which is which is great. But it wasn't getting into that way. So I think that colors how we kind of deal with it day to day. It's not like, OK, how can we rush these kids to get them a lot of money quick? Because it's just never really the, the view of it. So we're amazingly lucky like that. And it, it'd be really hard to replicate, I think so. And, and from your perspective, you this is all you've ever known. You know, I mean, it's not like, oh, yeah, I switched my career from a garbage man to a, a sports agent or my dad was doing this. Like, this is this is the this is the career path that you've always kind of seen. Yeah. Yeah. For, for better, for better or worse. Yeah. In, in a lot of days, you know, it's, it's a good agency and, it, you know, it's, it's a good job, but it's the same as any that there's there's good days and bad days and good things about it and bad things about it in the same way that that's true for, you know, you being a professional athlete. It's not even that's not all roses and sunshine either yeah yeah you know so it's it's the same as any job we're really lucky that we can watch hockey games uh instead of sitting behind a desk most days so wouldn't trade it for anything in the world but um yeah we know all pieces of it now for sure all right let's check some boxes on this agent advisor pay fees how much you get paid and all how you get paid that kind of thing uh before we talk about some of the more business side and hockey side so what's the difference between an agent and an advisor it's a good question. And the, the real answer is somewhere buried in the mind of somebody in the NCAA, I think. Right. Um, that, you know, in, in kind of the way that it's commonly used and, and we all talk about it kind of in the rinks is, is we're an advisor until you turn pro. Because um, that's the way the kind of the NCAA manual um, and the Division One rule book kind of says. It says they you can't can have, have an advisor. Agents, right? Yeah. And Magic actually, Johnson couldn't it, have yeah, an agent it, when he was at Michigan it actually, State. It, right? actually, it actually changed this year that you can have an agent now after you're drafted by a pro league. Oh, okay. um, but you need but but you need to fire the agent when you go to college and then you can rehire him when you leave college. So we can be an agent and then an advisor and then an agent again. Um which again is much more complicated than it needs to be. And I think the good thing about hockey is it's not ones where there's tons of impermissible benefits and all that stuff. So there's a whole bunch of rules that you kind of need to follow through the NCAA manual, which we are vigilant, vigilant about because the last thing we would ever want to do. And, and most of the good agents are, are the same. The last thing they'd ever want to do is jeopardize anybody's NCAA, NCAA eligibility. The last thing they'd ever want to do is get anybody looking sideways at them or even ask, asking extra questions. So it's a lot of that stuff. You can't accept money or benefits from, from somebody because that would turn an advisor into an agent. Right. Um, so it, it's, it's following that line, but I think kind of colloquially as people talk about it, it's you're an advisor till you turn pro and then you're an agent just because that's kind of, you know, the, the language that people are, are comfortable with at, right. at this point. So t- let's ask, uh, are there fees uh, to be my advisor? So there's a wide range. Everybody does it a little bit differently. Every agency, every advisory group does it a little bit different. Um, there's a large number that charge um, a fee to kind of go through the process now. Okay, we're going to help you kind of get set up with whatever it is training, or we're going to help kind of promote you for USHL draft, or we're going to help you decide between playing Bantam and JV this year. So there, there are groups that, that charge a fee for what mm-hmm. they do now. Um, and there's another camp that just charge for that just charge later down the road that if, if you ever sign a pro contract, then we would charge you a percentage of that and kind of all the services that potentially could lead up to that, the team selection, the development part, the answering of questions, the promotion for USHL, the promotion for college, those sort of things are all kind of part and parcel for that development path. And that's all the investment that, that we as an advisor, hopefully turning into an agent, would make in that time that we essentially would volunteer we're hopeful that that makes it more likely that you then sign a pro contract which means hopefully we'll get paid in five seven nine years from now so so that's the model that we follow um there are some fees that we charge throughout the way um to make sure again that we're, we're compliant with ncaa rules they say that if there's some services that are provided um at least a fee needs to be be charged with those so um, Interesting. we, we tie in some of those again, just to make sure that it's, it's very much compliant with, with the NCAA rules. And, and there's never anything that even if they go down and say, Hey, we're doing a full audit of everything you guys have ever done that we're never going to have a player, um, 
that again a compliance person's even got to blink at. Um, so we make sure we we keep it buttoned up. But it's um, our, our fees are based on on if and when you sign a pro contract to okay. a large degree. All right, and then how? What is the percentage that that, that an agent gets paid that when the pro contract gets signed? Yeah, it's a wide variety, kind of depending on what the services are that's included. Um, you know, the range kind of we've heard and doing a little competitive research or whatever is is kind of somewhere between three and five percent okay. of that NHL contract, and that's what the player what the player ultimately earns. So, you know, it, it's interesting too. We so we wouldn't bill a guy till after after the NHL season. So that's a good example for this year, which is kind of kind of funky with Weird with the year, pause yeah. here now, right? So we won't be able to send out bills for this year until maybe who, who knows there's still some talk that the nhl might not start up until july and go through september or october wow and then start up again in november so we won't know because there are guys that can be up and down from the nhl american we don't know what a guy really earns we don't know what the escrow percentage that they keep out for the salary cap is going to be so we won't send a bill till the end of the year um and we're i think we're on the lower end of the scale um based on what we've, we've heard around there but so that's yeah the kind of that three to five would be the would be the range out there, I think. Um, and so from a Minnesota's perspective, who are some of your Minnesota clients um, that are playing either in the AHL or the NHL? Yeah, we've had, we've had some good luck in, in Minnesota and we like, we like working up there and like the families and, and the hockey. Um, and, and the model I think has been, been pretty good. And I think the nice thing about Minnesota is it, it gives you options. You can stay close to home if you want. You can leave if you want. There isn't really as much of like a hard deadline. Like, okay, I'm 15. I need to leave home in right. kind of a way that you might be might be in in some other places. So, um, you know, some of our bigger name NHL guys are are Justin Falk, uh, Thomas Vanek, Justin Hall, who's done a nice job working his way yeah. up um, through Toronto, which is you know another one a, a great story there about a guy who was playing forward for the Gophers because yes. he couldn't crack the lineup as a defenseman for yep. the Gophers after after being a second round pick. So it goes high, low, works his way up, starts in the East Coast League and worked his way up to a multi-year, $2 million per year contract now. So those are the stories that we love more than like, you know, Justin Falk's a great story too that you go when you're great at South St. Paul and you make NTDP and then you go right into Duluth and you play one year, you win a national championship, you separate into the NHL, you made $60 million. That's a great story too in, in kind of a different way. Right. Um, but that's, you know, that's a great part about Minnesota is, is they have that spectrum that you can get there in so many different ways and do so many different things as it, as it comes up and down. Um, you know, so guys like that, there's um, Jordan Greenway who plays for the wild now. Yep. So we've had, you know, some wild guys, um, guys like Hudson Fashing and Jordan Gross, um, Austin Pagansky, who played his first games uh, in the NHL this year from St. Cloud Cathedral, Andy Walensky, who's another Duluth kid. So yeah. we've had a good ha- had a good run. We like uh, we like Duluth our Minnesota guys. boys. Yeah, we get uh, you know little little chunks and little pockets uh, wherever they go. And you know, even even way back, a lot of it too is we don't spend a ton of time kind of in rinks bird dogging or just trying to see which um, Pee Wee or Bantam guy looks super sexy. So sometimes it's it's little pockets where we had guys before. Right. So, uh, Derek plant was a former client of my father's when he played, uh, Jamie Lang. So yeah, yeah. So you got, you know, it's a couple of connections in, in a place like that. Like, okay. So, you know, a guy in Hermitown, you know, a guy in Cloquet or, you know, a guy in St. Cloud, whatever it might be. And then again, usually when we're going in and talking to these kids, it's, it's usually six or eight, at least other agencies that are talking to them too. Um, so we got to go in there and, and put our best foot forward. And, you know, the people that we know, know other people, too and that you know that's the nice thing actually that i like about minnesota too is is the other advisors and agents there i think generally are all good people um you know i think our model is a different one than a lot of them and i think that a lot of families that's resonated with but you know in in, in some places you're like what are these people doing i think i think generally you know the the agents based out of minnesota are pretty respectful and pretty understanding on, on, on kind of where it is and then it's more just finding the right fit for you what's the what works for you? Do you want a big agency that's kind of a big corporate one? Do you want a smaller one? So I, I think that's why we've we've enjoyed our time that, that we spent in Minnesota um, with the families there. You said something a second ago. We we love the Minnesota families. Uh, you're an East Coast guy. What is what do you, what are some of the characteristics you see uh, of people here from Minnesota? I love kind of an outsider's perspective. Yeah, I think the the main difference is it, it, it's a lack of. Uh, a lack of urgency is not the right word, but, but less of a rush of saying, okay, well, let's find kind of the right path. It might be, 
more of an openness, I guess, to various different things that we found the kind of Minnesota fans like, all right, well, let's evaluate what's best about staying in high school. Let's look at schools that are close. Let's look at schools that are far away. Let's look at the USHL. Let's look at a Shattuck first playing at our local association, Bantam. Let's look at all these different things. So I, I think it's more of uh, awareness. I think there's also that hockey culture too, that these guys want to be hockey players that in their downtime, when they were growing up, they were going out and trying to find a pond or trying to find the outdoor rink. So they're just hockey people, even, even maybe the parents or the dads or the moms that didn't play at a high level, they're a hockey person. They get it. And they all, I think the good thing about Minnesota too is they've all seen, they have a neighbor who looked like the greatest Bantam of all time, yeah. who is just their neighbor now. And they've seen guys that were playing single A at some point yep. that ended up being in the NHL. So I think that's a nice part. Like it's a realistic view of both the good that can come and um, the realistic that can come. So I think that's the nice part about it. It's not in an area where that you don't know anybody who played and you're like, okay, well, my kid's the best um, midget kid in the country right now. That means automatically that he's going to be a first round NHL pick. Right. Um, so just kind of a general you know, awareness. And I, and I think the other thing that we've really found in Minnesota, and it's certainly not exclusive to Minnesota is um, just a gratitude, I think for, um, for, for not just us, but for, for everybody, for people like you too, who are putting on the tournaments and providing exposure to their kids and providing different opportunities for everybody. Um, I'm, I'm sure you found that too, Tony, that, that, it, that there's a gratitude involved in it as opposed to uh, um, entitlement. Yeah, well, I, I I see that big time here in Minnesota. Yeah. Like uh, when we put on events that with where we bring in teams from outside the Twin Cities, they're like, yeah, this is this is kind of nice, and they, it just it's just another stop along the way. Where you know you get, we get a kid from Brainerd or or Duluth or Hermantown or East Grand Forks, they come down and play in our tournament, and they're they're saying thank you and they're appreciative of the opportunities. And I was like, wow, these the people here, um, you, you really grow to really like the people here in the state, and it's just mo- mostly because it's kind of a pretty down to earth state and pretty understated. That's always my biggest thing is how understated people from Minnesota are. Don't don't like, like to bring a lot of attention to themselves, you know. Yes, yeah. You know, that's about yeah. always my big takeaway here. Um, all right, you've, you've already said a few things that have just prompted way more questions, and I'm like, oh, I want to keep going here. But I want to talk you about getting clients, you know. Um, you, you talked about, I, I, I'm sure one of your answers is going to be referrals. Like, oh, yeah, I got this guy from this guy and that guy. But do, and, and you talked about bird dogging. I see, you know, we, we run the Bantam Elite League. We see a lot of agents, you know, at 14-year-old hockey games. Is, is this part of the business or is this, you know, because it's kind of like you don't want to be left out either, right, if you wait until they're 18 years old. So talk about the client development or building a client list. Yes, there's no no way to hide it. It, it certainly is a part of it, and it, it's the whole spectrum of of going and watching. I've watched family league games, so I, you know, whatever. Right. Not, 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 I can hide it. People have seen me there, so I've talked to parents there. So right. you know, it, it's family league games um, all the way up through. You know, we have meetings with guys in the NHL that are on their second or third contract that have, you know, found out like, Hey, the agency that I'm with now, I don't think is a great fit for what I'm doing, or I'm not as much of a priority for them as I was hoping I would be, or they told me something at 14 that hasn't turned out to be true at, at 18, 19. So the, the range is all, is all the way through and, and guys develop at different levels. So, you know, for us more kind of the younger end of it is, is watching and trying to figure out who we think is going to continue to develop, starting to build up relationships with families of saying, Hey, whenever you feel like there's a need, um, but we just want you to know that there's an option out there for you. And and, that, and that's more of a say, hey, whenever you're starting to feel pressure, whenever you're starting to feel like there's a decision that needs to be made that kind of goes out of your depth, um, let me know in the same way that, um, you know, it, it's good to have a dentist uh, in your yeah. phone. No, it's good to have a doctor. You might not need to go every day, but at some point your tooth is going to start hurting and say, okay, I think it's time to go get that or whatever. Um, so kind of in the same way, it, it, it's trying to build up um, relationships and be present um, and, and be around and kind of build up the expertise. So when somebody needs you, you can hopefully be in a good position to do that. And, and that's a huge range, as I said, from, you know, probably Bantams is where we first start keeping an eye on guys all the way through. I think um, that one of the you know, biggest, really, really established pros. the biggest, the most important times, like you said, where the tooth starts to hurt, right. Is when a kid's about to sign the contract with the national development team. Like I, 
that's a really tricky contract. You know what I mean? It, it's not like, yeah, yeah, sign me up for that. You know, it's, it's not, a, you yeah, know, we yeah. get a lot of kids from Minnesota that end up not going. And I don't think it's the contract that keeps them from going. I think it's the fact that they're, you know, going to leave their buddies or, or it's just as good a situation development wise here. Yeah. And that talk about that contract. So some of the, I know some of the restrictions, of the contract, but I think hearing it from you is, is, is better to hear it from you. What, what some of those might entail. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting contract, and it's kind of front of, front and center in people's mind here now, just because the O right. Forbert class just sent their invites out, and um, you know they did a really nice job. The Minnesota kids and, and Minnesota area kids did a really nice job of of getting into that mix this year, which is which is good to see. Um, you know, I think a little bit of background on it for um, you know the, the listeners here of uh, of why you kind of hear some of these urban legends about how restrictive the contract is and and all that. And I think you know from USA Hockey's perspective is is they're picking a team, they're putting a lot of resources, a lot of money, you know, for better or worse. And you see kind of bubbles of discussion and debate pop up uh, now and again about kind of all the money that USA Hockey puts into the program. I think it's hard to argue with the success they've had both internationally and developing pro players and national team players and, and all that. But, you know, I think the, the way that the contract structure is saying, Hey, we're going to be putting a lot of money, time, effort resources into you. Um, we have an expectation on kind of what that's going to be coming back. Um, I think a lot of it is, is really positive in that, Hey, we're going to have a really strict, no drug and no alcohol policy. I right. think so order of that you're going to yes. be living with a billet family who's taken in a 16 year old or 17 year old kid that they've never met and don't know and they're um you know they're doing that to help the program I, if i was taking a bill kid i would not want them drinking either so you no. know th- those sort of things are, are positive those are the most restrictive ones um but you know i think the biggest piece that, that you don't understand sometimes is that that it, it really is a two-year commitment and I think that's sometimes what makes people really take pause because everybody's so used to, which I think is good of making, let's take this one year at a time. Okay. Right. I've done Peewee. Am I ready to move up to the Bantam? All right. right. I've done JV. Is it ready for me to go to the varsity program? Okay. I'm, I've been through my association. Should I go to a Shattuck that call or right. am I ready to go to your association? So everything, and we advise in the same way. Let's take this one year at a time. Let's see where you are a year from now and make a decision there. Don't worry about where you're going to be in three years from now. Don't worry about, you know, the USHL futures draft. Cause we don't know where you're going to be at 17 when you're, I 15. think that's such so, a big part of this. The, yeah. the decision is that the amount of years that it is right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a two year commitment and I understand it from all sides. I understand from NTDP that they don't want guys. And I think they got burnt in some of the early years where a guy goes for a year and then jumps to the OHL or jumps to the Western league. And they kind of go through cause, cause really that's the hardest year for guys that we found is what do you do for kind of that, that you 17. I think even, I think even actually the first year. Yes. So I think, you know, your, your U 18 year, you're more likely to be able to play in the USHL successfully. You're more likely to play in major junior successfully. You could go play a Shattuck prep. You can play and be a really good leader on your local high school team. It's, it's that first year, your junior year of high school for most of these guys, sometimes sophomore year, that's a harder year. Cause okay, maybe I've already played one year of varsity and did a pretty good job. Do I get better by going back? Okay. You know, for guys that are Eastern or in Chicago area or LA or wherever they are. All right. I've played a U15 or a U16 year. I did a pretty good job. Do I play U16 again? U18 midget's not great. Do I need to move away from home anyway? Am right. I going to tender? So that, that I think is the hard year. So I think NTDP and USA hockey, uh, you know, understandably say, Hey, we don't want to take you for this year. That's mostly development year where there isn't really the payoff for us. We're not doing the U18 championship. We're not getting the, the kind of buzz of having NHL draft picks. We take you for the hard year and then you go jump someplace else. And we've spent all this time, money, effort on you for, for the tough year. And we don't get the benefit of it. So I, I totally understand where USA hockey is coming from it, right. but it's also a really foreign thing to a family to say, okay, well, this is going to be, this has to be two years. Even, even if you're, the eighth defenseman, even right. if you're the 13th forward, it's going to be for two years. Um, and guys certainly work their way up in the coaching staff there. We have, you know, I, I think you can look at the guys that we have in the NHL. And um, I don't think it's a secret that we're, you know, generally supporters of MTDP. We've also had a number of guys that said, Hey, this is not a great fit for me that I really think it is an individual decision um, in kind of the same way that is signing a tender the right thing for you. I, I don't know. It's going to we'll, depend we'll on your, kid and your individual situation. So it's in to, you know, some degree it's the same, it's the same kind of question, the same kind of thought process. So that's what we're going through 
that's what we went through over these last two weeks with a handful of families um, that we're right. working with of saying, okay, well now let's try to sort this out. Where do you stack in this group? Where do you think you're going to be for two years? And, and the largest part of it is what's your mentality on this? How do you feel? And that's oftentimes how we lay guys out. And, and this will be the same for, you know, if we talk about tenders or all these different things of saying, okay, let's lay out kind of the worst case scenario. How would you feel being the eighth defenseman? How would you feel being the 13th forward? And everybody has a different response to that. Some people say that sounds absolutely sneaking miserable. I don't know chance. And some right. kids and families would say, that's fine. I'm going to go prove these guys. I know these other players, there's no chance they're keeping me as a 13th forward for too long. I'm going to pass these guys. So as long as you have kind of the right mentality of it going in, and that's the same for guys playing high school, right? Let's say, hey, should I try out for the varsity team? Or should I stay on TV? Should I do Bantam? Or should I try for the varsity? It's the same thing. How are you going to feel not playing on the power play? Right. How are you going to feel not being on the How are you going to feel playing 11 minutes per night as opposed to the 27 that you're used to playing? And, and everybody responds to that differently because at some point it's going to happen. There's very yeah. few people who step into college on the first line. Very few guys who step into the NHL on the first line. So at some point it's going to happen. It's just knowing the individual family, knowing the individual kid. And that really for us as an advisor, that's I think really the primary benefit of getting to you know these families and kids earlier. And, and for the listeners out there of, of maybe why it makes sense to get somebody a little bit earlier is instead of us, a family says, okay, I got this NTDP contract. I got to decide in five days whether I'm moving my kid to Michigan or he's staying here and playing high school. It's difficult for us to just parachute in and say like, hey, I'm Brian. I'm going to be your advisor. Your kid should go to Michigan. Yes. Like, what? what? So it's it's nice to, to know them a little bit and know what makes them tick and know what the path has been. Yeah, so that, you can't that, build that, that relationship in two weeks. Right. When, when there's stress involved anyway, I'm yeah. trying to make this, this big kind of life decision. So that, that I think is a primary benefit of, you know, even in the 15 years that I've been doing this of kind of the shift as, it, as we've started to deal with families younger, that I think is the upside, um, both for us, I think we can get better advice and for the families, they feel more comfortable because we've been through small decisions and we've been through kind of built, and then it builds up to these bigger ones, whenever that big one might come for some people, it's this, for some people, it's a decision of saying, okay, well, I finished my high school career um should we look at the ushl should i go play in the bchl what, whatever you know there's a million different decisions that come up and the more the better we know the family the better we can help with that decision the, the one that strikes me it was a, an odd situation was a couple years ago and a player to be renamed uh, remain nameless here he uh committed to the program and then left for the for the OHL or, or with, for the CHL for that matter. Um, what do you do in that situation? You know, it's, you, you get yourself as an, as an advisor, as an agent, really in a, in a sticky wicket there from a trust perspective. Talk about that. Yeah. There, there's going to be those, those situations kind of as an advisor, we, we see ourselves as kind of an extension of the family and, you know, we, we see our role as, is trying to advise, but we're never making decisions for families. So, right. um, we, we've had situations like that, had situations worse than that. We've had situations, um, in different colors of, of that. And to a large degree, our philosophy, at least on it is making sure that the family and the, and the players educated on what the ramifications of that decision may be positive and negative. Um, you know, I would, highly doubt that that was kind of made on a whim. So hopefully that advisor, and if it was us, we certainly would, would talk through what the pros and cons are going to be, what the ramifications might be of, uh, of this, both, you know, kind of with your association with the national team going forward. But again, there, there's pros and cons of it. And there must've been something that, that they didn't feel comfortable about. So, um, you know, the, there's that, but then it's also to some degree, we see our role as an advisor. And I think the same way that, that attorneys see their, their role when they represent people is sometimes you got to take the bullet for the guy because right. that was where point. I was kind of going with this. Yeah. Is and, like, and, and sometimes you got to go and you got to build it up. So, you know, you go and, and that's part of, that's part of our job sometimes is you're the, the bad, bad guy. cop, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and, it was the and, agent and that, made okay. him do that. Like I yeah. can't tell and, you how many times I hear that that you know they blame the agent yeah. for a lot of the the world's yeah. problems. You know, it was cloudy and, today. And, it was the agent's fault, right? You yeah. know, and, and that's okay. And a lot of times, I mean. You, you've met some of them. Sometimes it really is the agent's fault. Uh, sometimes it really is the agent um, dictating a path, which I think is is wrong. And really the number one thing that I think players and families need to look out for is, do I feel like this agent is is helping me make a decision or are they making a decision 
for me. Um, so for us, we know, even if we've been blamed for a lot of things, which is right. fine, you know, you can get blamed for NHL guys not re-signing in their city and just get absolutely sewered in the media. Um, you can get blamed for a guy signing uh, to one college and not another. And we've gotten very angry calls um, from colleges. We've gotten calls from guys that sign early uh, from a college to go pro and blame the agent. Yeah, and, that's and to a the large only student, way he gets paid is yeah. because he yeah. signs. Yeah, I know. Right. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a yeah. double-edged and, sword, isn't it? Yeah, and, 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 that, and that's fine as long as we know which we do in, in our process. That, hey, this wasn't our decision. We're fine. I would rather somebody yell at me than yell at my client. Um, which is fine. I'd rather get sewered in the media than have my client get sewered in the media. Right. Um, cause that, that's what we get paid for. Right. Yeah. It's like we get paid for things, but it's also to take, to take bullets sometimes, which is okay. Like it, it's a job. It's part of the job. Um, in the same way that PR people do that. It's the same way that the white house press secretary gets bullets that right. aren't necessarily his or hers to take. That's okay. That, that's part of the job. And if it deflects something, um, you know, NHL head coaches do that all the time. Right? They take, they take bullets and take blame uh, for their star players that aren't aren't playing well. They're not the one with the, the poor shooting percentage. They're not the ones that's not forechecking. But um, as long as they know that they've done their part, and, and we feel the same, that we know that our players are making educated decisions um, with the best set of facts that they can. And if we got to blame the agent, that that's so perfectly fine. And then it, yeah, and then, and then the next step too is is damage control to some degree. So it's going through and making sure it might not be in the heat of the moment but it might be a month later, two months later, three months later of going back to whoever it is. If it's the national team in that case, if it's going back to the school where the player left and saying, Hey, this is why this decision was made. I know you don't agree with it. And I think that your point was perfectly valid too. And I'm sure you would have done great there too, but this is why the decision was made. We hope that you understand it and we look forward to, you know, having another one. And that's the nice thing about the hockey world is it's a small world is, right. you know, we're going to need the national team again. We're going to need that school again. And they're also going to need us again. Um, but there's going to be another player the next year um, that, that they like. So we need to, to mend that relationship um, best we can. And, and that's a great thing about hockey too, is there's big personalities, but very few like real hard egos where it's never going to be fixed. We've never had a situation where it hasn't is as heated as maybe an argument got or a disagreement got it's always been able to kind of wrangle it back in um, within, you know, a couple weeks or days or whatever. So let's talk about the USHL. This is a big time of year where you got guys that are maybe leaving Minnesota high school for the USHL, or you have, uh, it doesn't matter any player, uh, the importance of having good relationships with the USHL clubs, uh, because it's such a big Avenue to division one hockey and obviously uh, to the NHL draft. Yeah, USHL is a great league that if you look across of kind of the percentage of guys that get Division One commitments or, or D3 as, as a backup to that, it's almost 100%, which is incredible for any league um, across the world. And it's a great landing spot for guys and, and players are ready for it at different ages. There's a handful of guys that are ready at 16. There's you look across the rosters, though, the vast majority of those guys are, are still post high school, which is what makes it such a good league it's it's right. as close to college hockey as you can get because most of those guys are college age most of them are 18 19 20 and at some of the schools at the age of their incoming freshmen at some it's not so i think that that's what makes it a successful league and such a good development model is is those guys the vast majority of those guys are are college ready someplace and and you're playing against that and once you step in from that to college it's it's a similar level now i'm talking about from your a client perspective um, do you go into clients and say, we have relationship with USHL teams? Do we have relationships with D1 coaching staffs? Is that a big deal? Is that a big selling point uh, to having those relationships? Or do all agents have and advisors have that uh, card in their deck? Um, I don't think, I don't think everybody does. I think that, you know, when, once you boil it down to kind of a line in the sand, I think there's probably a good chunk of groups that have been doing it a while that are respected, that do it the right way, that have had relationships. And then there's kind of a new wave of, of people trying to come in and some of them are very nice and, and, and good and hardworking and I'm sure they'll be great, but they're just kind of getting going. So, you know, I think that's kind of a, maybe a, a differentiating factor to, to some degree, but it's certainly not unique to us. I think that it's important for families to go if they're looking for an agent advisor saying, have they helped other families on the path that I want to go on? 
I don't know what my path exactly is going to be, but hey, if I want to play through high school and then go to the USHL and be an NHL pick and go play at one of these couple schools, can they show me that path? Can they show me someone else that they've helped get to those different places? Um, you know, in kind of the same way that if, if I got a call from somebody who was living in the Czech Republic and said, hey, I want to play in the top Czech league and then I want to go play in the Russian second league and then I want to go play um, in the KHL, like I might say, hey, that, that's not a perfect fit for us. There's other people who do that right. better. I, I can't tell you about our Czech guy that went and did this and this and this. Like if you want to be, you know, if you want to come and be be Jonas Donskoy and you want to go play in the Finnish league and then come over here and be drafted and play in the NHL, who's one of our clients, we can help with that path. That's a good path for us. So I think that's kind of the thing. And, and that's why there's more than one agent. And that's why there's more than one a- agency that, that you can go and find what kind of rings true to you in your path. So there's certainly some agencies, you know, I see some out here that all their guys go to two or three schools out East. And that's great. They do a great job with that. There's some that are in Minnesota that all their guys just kind of go to the Minnesota schools. And, you know, we do it a little bit differently, I think, partially because of our geographic spread and that, that, you know, we think that there's a lot of different paths and, and partially because we're lucky that we've been working with my dad has been doing it such a long time with those ties. So, yeah, if there's somebody who wants to go on that path, make sure that that agent advisors help someone else along that same path before. You, you don't want to be the be the first one. If we keep using that dentist analogy or whatever, like, yeah. you, don't, you, don't want, you don't want to be the first root canal they've done, right? Right. Let somebody else be that guinea pig. Uh, what are your relationships like with the with the college coaches? I mean, is it, can they? It, it, like for example, like uh, Team A wants Team A wants your client, and Team B wants your client, and team, and, and 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 the players just keep going to A all all the time. Does does Team B get frustrated with the relationship, or or how do you manage that? Yeah, I think they could, um, and you hear different stories, different, different ages. I can only kind of tell how, what our experience is and, and how we've lived it. But, you know, for us, I think in the same way that we're talking about guys going to the national team or, or making their own decisions on things, right. we, we very much and, and keep the schools involved in that process too. Of saying, Hey, this is what we're telling this guy that we're advising. This is what we're helping him through. We're helping him talk through this depth chart. Can you make sure that I have this depth chart correct or, or whatever it might be. So they're involved in the process and it's not behind some hidden wizard of Oz, um, cloak where we're saying, okay, well, magically you just ended up deciding to go to school A. Like, well, what was this process? And we try to keep the schools involved in that process. So they know, and, and that's their job to some degree too. You got to recruit the kid you got to pitch the kid. Um, and if they end up there, that's good. As long as they kind of feel like they had a fair shake and we feel the same way. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of understanding both ways. Cause we're largely in the same business too, where we're recruiting families and talking to families and we get some, and we don't get some. And right. in the same way that if everybody who went to X school went with one agent, would we look a little sideways at that? Maybe, but I would look more at myself of saying, okay, well, what am I not doing that, that's convincing this family that I'm not the right fit for them? In the same way, I think the schools also understand in the same way, because they, they do the same thing a lot too. They're talking to families and the families are asking them, hey, what advisor should I go with? Um, or midget coaches or high school coaches are the same thing. Like, hey, I've had all these advisors talk to me. Who do you like? And I think those coaches are in the same boat that we are saying, hey, here's three or four options that I think are good, that I think have done a good job. Um, talk to them, sit down with them, get to know them, let them convince you one way or the other. And that's kind of how we do it with the schools too. So we haven't had um, any friction on that just because we try to be as inclusive as we can. I just fear that the the coaches, you know, look at you guys just like the public looks at you like oh this guy he's slimy and he's not helping the you know he's not helping me so then he's he's hurting me kind yeah. of thing right there, there are there are some of some of those i'm sure we've been we've been lucky that maybe they say it behind our back no one right no one said it to our face in a while so let me are you hearing things about us no i'm not hearing that no you wouldn't be on this call if I'm, i was I'm just, that. just 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 joking but no we've been trying to do it the right way and again and, and sometimes it's you go and, and there's a decision that a school's not happy with, but they also know that you, you do it the right way. You've been through it and you've been honest. Like that, that's the main thing is, is we find that whoever it is, you can get yourself in trouble. You can get hurt your reputation. And my dad always said, he's it, taken 35 years to build up his reputation. It takes about two seconds to lose it. Yeah. Um, and I think the number one way to do that is, is not being honest with people. So we'll tell them exactly why this is why he went to that school. This is what he thought he liked better. 
So it's not like, hey, we were sliding there because they're um, doing something different. So this is this is what the thought process was. How do you fight this one? This is this is kind of out of the script here, but how do you fight the? You know, you get to some of these schools. I'm not going to name any schools here that are just stockpiling player verbal commitments after verbal commitment, and they they have more players verbally committed than scholarships available. And now you get a client who's gotten an offer, receives an offer from this school. What do you tell them? And it's his only offer. You know, that's where your job gets tricky, isn't it? Yes, that that is a tricky hypothetical there. Um, and it, but it's realistic so, though, right? Yeah, no, it, it it certainly happens. So I think I think part of it is in the same way as it's laying out the family of what the risk is, and in the same way, there's risk there's risk for everything um, in hockey and and in life. So you go and say, hey, here's what this landscape looks like. Here are the guys that you're going to be competing with, and the commitment out of whatever. So say there's goalies are the easiest, right? So yeah. numbers are smaller. Okay. <laughs> they're going to keep three goalies on their roster. They're going to keep three goalies on their roster. Right. They got six goalies committed for this same year. Uh, this would be a little bit of a stretch, but easier numbers are easier. So like, so we'd say there's probably a 50, 50 chance that you actually end up there. So you need to weigh 50, 50 chance versus what else you have. And if what else you have is nothing, then 50-50 is better, better. than zero. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's especially true if you're a 99, you know, who's running out of eligibility. But if we say, hey, you got two years left of junior or you're 15 years old or yeah. you're 16 years old or you're 17 years old, then that often would be like, hey, you know, you got 50-50 chance. Do we think that it's going to be better 50-50 chance that you're going to go out there and be able to find somebody else? And if X school is willing to offer you now it's quite likely that somebody else will offer you later, or maybe you go through it. And that would be another one too. Like you can find all the websites that have the listing of commitments and right. and all that. Um, so, you know, from, from our standpoint, what we do is you'd also talk to the school. So you go and say, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. This looks really ugly. Help me under, help me understand this. What am I not seeing here? Cause oftentimes there's ones going to be like, okay, well that looked like it's a full scholarship guy. That's a walk on guy. Right. Or this guy, um, you know, we, we added him on. He didn't get taken off this website, but he's a non-qualifier academic-wise. He wasn't able to get his core classes done, so he's not coming in. Um, so there's these ones that, that look like they're on the list um, to some degree, they but the, really player, the player knows that he's not going or it's not going there or he's been been told that there isn't room or whatever. So oftentimes what you see in, in kind of the public sphere isn't 100% accurate, so that would be a big part of our job, too, of – of going and trying to get it. And sometimes it is like, yeah, we just got, we got 10 D committed and then we're only taking eight. So there's a one out of four chance. It's not going to be you. We right. can decide if you want to compete with that or not. Um, and some people say, Hey, this is my dream school. This is where I've always wanted to be. And I'd you, rather take that chance. You can do, right? And that, and that's fine. And um, as long as they understand that risk, it's, it's not my, it's not our lives. They, they're the ones who are doing it. As long as we do our job and say, Hey, here's the risk. Here's the percentage chances. Here are the guys that you need to beat out. Um, and, and we've had guys, you know, most of those work out well in some of them, but as long as you kind of fully lay it out for the family of saying, Hey, this is what the chances are. And then if they go and get pushed off another year, we've never had to like, Oh, Hey, why didn't you tell me about this? So, okay. Yeah. We talked about it. We knew this was a risk and now we'll make the best of it. So that, that's, that's the way to deal with it. I think. This week, there's been a ton of, uh, USHL, uh, 04 tenders uh, as a result of the NTDP being released on Monday. And I've t been tweeting all week these tenders and saying, hey, it always happens. You know, one to two days after the uh, NTDP gets announced, then the then the tenders for that year start getting laid out. Tell me about the your opinion on this process of uh, committing 16-year-olds, which will, for that year, you talk about that 17-year-old league, 17-year-old year. Do you think it's a good decision for, unless it's just a, a rarity, um, where you get the the, the, uh, the Fantilli kid this year? I think he's kind of a rarity. Do you think this is a good decision for kids at that young age to play in an in a old college-ready league uh, like the USHL? It's a good, good question, and not to, not to punt on it, but I think, you know, it really does depend on the individual kid in the same way that I talked a little bit about what's your kind of pain tolerance for being scratched half the time. What's your pain tolerance for not being a power player? Cause all these guys in the same way, if we're talking about national team, if we're talking about tenders, these are high performing players, right? These you're are guys that if you're forward, your age, yeah, yeah. Right? So, so you're a you've been a power play and penalty kill 
and whatever guy your whole life? How do you feel about not being that guy for a year or two years um, at this point? So, so that I think is, is a dialogue that we'd have with people. I think if you look, um, you know, there, there's exceptions to every rule, but if you look back at those guys that have done USHL tenders over the last, however many years they've done it, how long it's been six, seven years. Yeah. Um, there's not an amazing track record for those guys turning out to be like really highly offensive guys. It's a hard league to score. In. Yes. Um, you know, you can look at guys that have been amazingly successful offensively in Minnesota high school, you know, local do there than most listeners. So like you look at those guys and even if they go, they do the split season stuff in the USHL, it's really, really hard league to score. And that gets, I think gets compounded if you're a six year old. So there's different, there's different ones, right? Like, so if you're going to be a steady stay at home, kind of second pair defenseman and you're already six to 190 pounds and you're dominating Minnesota high school as a 16 year old and no one can get around you. And, and whatever your, your ceiling is probably going to be a shutdown defenseman anyway, then maybe that makes a lot of sense for you to go to USHL. Start learning those little habits, start right. learning those little things. Cause that's what you're going to be anyway. If you're a highly mobile, 107 pound defenseman who needs to have the puck on their stick the whole game to be really productive, then maybe going to the USHL as a 16 year old is not the best thing for you. Cause what's going to make you effective is being on the power play, putting up points, having the puck in your stick, making plays. And then it's realistically, okay, how, how does that sort out? How does that look for my year next year in the USHL? And, and the other tricky thing about, and there's some teams in the USHL that have done it very, very well and have had a lot of success. Some that have done it poorly and some teams that have never signed a tender. So there have a wide range of kind of what they feel into. So I think that's related is trying to figure out what the team is, what it is, I think it's, it needs, I think you're right. I think it needs to be an exception uh, rather than kind of the norm that, that you're a kid that, that fits into that well. Cause the other thing that, you know, I think sometimes families um, forget or don't realize is you can still play in the USHL as a 16 year old without tendering. All that Correct. it does really is you don't get to pick your team. So you can go out there and you can make the team at tryouts. You can go out and play affiliate games throughout the year. You can get the, upside of it you can get the 8 10 12 games throughout the year um without committing to be there all year if, if you're that good and that ready to actually step into the lineup and be good they're going to try to get you in the game if you can help them win they're going to get you in there um you know but we've also had you know had ones where we've had the same conversation we didn't you know ran through the risk of what a tender is and, and they tendered and did amazingly well we've had some guys that have been you know really good NHL draft picks and stepped right in um, and those are the guys that kind of had talk about kind of that pain tolerance and ability to go in there and it's okay. The first 10, 15 games, they were all right. Not being a power play. Not being a toy. So let's, let's move, let's move uh, the, the, the needle here. Is everything One, okay two. there? Got me here, so. Okay, all right. Um, let's move the needle over to the recruiting rules. Uh, the NCAA changed their rules um, uh, a year ago, year and a half ago, and um, you're starting to see some trends as a result of that. Obviously, there's no you don't the 14, 15 year old committing to college has gone away, which has been refreshing for me at least. Um, has that changed your business at all? The, the the later out kids are committing to school. Or has it pretty much stayed the test? Is it not changed your business at all? It's changed the business a bit. I think it's allowed it's allowed us to kind of push back a little bit of when we're talking to kids. Um, I also think it's the positive that it's changed. I think for a while there, there were agents and advisors that were going to families and saying, hey, you need an agent right now. There's other 05 birthdays that are committing to school. Why aren't you committing to school? You're missing something by not having an advisor. You're missing something by not having an agent. I have this great relationship with X school. Come with me and I'll get you something there. And, and understandably, the family is like, oh, yeah, that kid, that kid did commit. And he does have an advisor. Am I missing something by not having an advisor? There's a real kind of tangible $200,000 scholarship result that family saying, oh, I think I do need somebody here. So we've, since the rule has been passed, it's, it's been refreshing. The families are like, Okay, well, you know, as we talked about before, kind of what's that pressure point? What, when do you start to make a decision that you don't feel like you can control yourself or have the tools to handle yourself? And this school part of it has been pushed back, which is great. So I think that's kind of taken out um, something that I think was a little bit of a nefarious way that agents or advisors are doing and said, hey, you need to get an advisor now. 
because you're missing the boat on school. That has gone away, which has been great, which I think has pushed the agent decision back for a number of families, which I think is also good for, for most families, unless they have, um, you know, there's a bunch of things. There's a Western League draft for, for guys there that are coming up now and contracts are going to be offered for 05. So that's still a pain point. Okay, well, now this is something maybe that we need to talk about. But I think it, it's pushed that back. And I think the main thing that it's helped with is just the mental health for the kids of that they're not going and leaving a Bantam game and saying, hey, I saw that X school was up in the stands watching. Are they going to offer me? Or my buddy offered and put it on Twitter or Instagram. Why aren't I doing it? So I think it's been incredible that way. And and what it has done for our business is it's allowed the conversations that we're having with families and kids, especially on the younger end, to focus on development, to focus on getting better, to focus on improving as a hockey player, as opposed to should I do this tournament to get uh, exposure to a school. It's, Hey, should I do this tournament or this camp to become a better hockey player? Should I go to this team to become a better hockey player as should I do this because there's going to be colleges watching, which I think is the best thing that could have happened for everybody. Cause that's what there's no 14 or 15 year old that's ready to play in college right now. So everybody needs to get better. So the more we can have the conversation around getting better and developing, the better everybody off is. And, and that's been the one positive or one of the positive changes for us is, you know, even if we're dealing with a family in this age group, the conversations are much healthier and much more focused on on the real tangible growth things that they need. One of the uh, criticisms to the rule change was this is going to, and I've heard this m- many different ways, forms of this question or, or statement is, well, this is just going to make the agents and the advisors more valuable. Do you find that to be true? I, I, I've had the same contact. You can still have I had, indirect contact. You know yeah. What I, mean? I had, I had the same concern, um, originally kind of reading the rule and, and talking through it in practice. I haven't found that to be True. the case. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it, Cause I think the, the schools were yearning for it too. I don't think they've really wanted to commit no. 13, 14, 15 year olds either. So we found that I think the schools are saying, Hey, we can't, we don't need to deal with this guy. And, you know, the higher end schools that were dealing with the 14, 15 year olds anyway, the blue, well, I don't know, higher end, the, you know, the blue marquee, bloods. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Th- those schools, as long their main concern was that you were going to commit to the other blue blood. Right. So they don't want to commit. 14, and as long as they know that somebody else isn't talking to them and you can't go visit, they're like, Hey, we're going to call them when we can. And I think that's especially true. Now the one kind of, subtle part of the rules you can start talking to the kids on january 1st but they can't commit until august 1st right of the sophomore year there so they say hey even if we're not the first to call we got eight months to convince a kid to come here and if we can't convince a kid to come here in eight months then shame on us he wasn't right? he wasn't coming anyway right, right? that's the kid that's going to change the commitment or that's a kid that's gonna go major junior when they're 17 anyway so if we can't if we can't if somebody's going to get a two month head start on us and we can't use eight months to close that gap, the kid didn't want to come here anyway. So that's actually been great. The schools have been really good about it. They've feel like everybody's kind of taking the foot off the gas a little bit on that age. Hey, we're just going to, we're just going to watch. We want to make, cause they want to make sure they get the right players too. And there's a lot of mistakes that were made on young guys. And they're saying, Hey, this is good. We're going to take this time to evaluate and watch and learn. Um, so we haven't been, we haven't felt that we're, we're being used as a, as a conduit to, to skirt the rules. Right. Um, and which I is, thought which that would be great the case and it's good. Yeah. I, I don't I, get that I, sense I really, either. I really, I really did too. Um, and it's been a refreshing change that, that we have. I mean, there certainly are some conversations and we're going and comparing notes and, um, if we're helping a family, you know, those conversations are, are happening to some degree, but it's not like, Hey, let's get this thing locked in under the table. Uh, so then right. on, Artifacts we can go and say, hey, you know, I saw you watching that kid. Seems like a really good player. We're looking forward to calling him on January first. Okay, that's helpful. And and sometimes you know that that can help in in various conversations that we have with the kid. It's still in the same way that saying, hey, you know, this school is watching you to some degree. This is what they'd like you to work on over the year. But it's still that it's it's development, it's growth, it's getting better as opposed to, um, you know, breaking down depth charts and stuff, which which I think has been been great. All right. So Adam Fantilli and his brother just uh, signed tenders. With the Chicago Steel, they're Canadian kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam was an 04. Um, and I want to just, the reason I want to bring him up as a topic is you obviously know who he is and, and, know, and know, the, know the landscape. And it's diff- the reason I'm bringing it up as a trend, do you see the potential trend for 
a, you know, we we know the term what GTHL means, the Greater Toronto Hockey League. It's, this is Toronto is the is the epicenter of of hockey in the world, and the some of the best players come out of that area. The fact that one of the best players in Toronto may ultimately play Division One hockey. I've heard two or three schools that are interested in him already uh, in in my region here. I'm sure the East Coast as well, and his brother's committed to Michigan. Is this like a potential thing that could happen? Could this become a thing that people are kids from Toronto are spurning the OHL and going to play American college hockey? Because it's happened in the West already. You know, it's it's happened plenty here on the western side of North America. But the fact that it might happen on the eastern side of North America is just fascinates me for some reason. Tell me what yeah. you know. Tell me what you think. Yeah, I hope that it. You know, either either for Adam or or, or somebody else who's not a guy that we're working with, but. You know, I've seen him play out out prep right. school out east here, and he, he's he is an amazing player. I think he's going to be successful wherever he goes. And just in, in kind of families and ways as you go, the more options that families can kind of view as viable, the better I think, because then you can find what's right for you. There's a lot of kids that the OHL is a perfect fit for them, and you know, kind of in the same way that I think sometimes major junior gets a. Minnesota kids want to play in the tourney and they want to yep. play at Excel and have, you know, 18,000 people there. You broke up, you there, broke for up there for a second. And the pro side of it is just extra that it doesn't mean anything for them to go play for the Gophers in North Dakota. That, that's not their what they grew up their experience. So right. I think that's, you know, why it's tougher to go is, is that's good hockey. It's been successful and that's what they grew up knowing in the same way that Minnesota people grew up with, with high school hockey and attorney. And, and that's why it's going in the same way that, you know, sometimes you look and say like, all right, well, why aren't, why don't 50 Minnesota kids go to the Western league every year? Cause it's just not the culture that they grew up in. So I think kind of the more options that you can have though. So again, if, it, if it's for Fantilli, if it's for somebody else, the more options that you can have, like, you know, we represent Kale McCarr who's having a, had a really nice year. Hopefully season starts up again, is having a really nice year yeah. um, with Colorado and played in an Eastern school. So he went from Calgary. Yeah. Junior B um, for the Brooks. Right. and do it then I, I think that would be great um you know and there's been a little bit of that at um at st andrews college in um in toronto area there that comes and plays against shattuck and, right. and has done a nice job they've kind of started to lay the groundwork there a little bit um on that too saying okay well here's can be some successful guys that you can stay you can stay in toronto stick play against the shattuck's play until he played against him. So you can say, okay, well, here you can do families to find the right option for them. So, so as we're talking to families in Calgary now, there's a lot, a lot more um, kind of willingness or peace to say, okay, I'm fine playing junior B. I don't need to go to the Western league. And right. then I'll try to go to university. So that, that same way, if you have that person that you can hang your hat on, um, I think is a positive because then you can find the right answer for you, which is the goal for everybody here. Yeah. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. We've kind of gone all over the globe here. We've talked about your background as a, as a hockey player and as a son of a, founder of a agency all the way through uh, the business side and the hockey side of this whole landscape. Uh, before we wrap up the call, I want to just talk a little bit about the uh, Minnesota high school hockey model. You know, you didn't grow up here. Uh, what is your perception of the kids that you're working with here in Minnesota and, and their take on Minnesota? Yeah, a little envious now as, as we've gotten to kind of know it over the last 15, 20 years of, of kind of what, what the model is. And I think the greatest part about it and, and why there's it's been successful and why there's been so many good players is it is the availability of ice time um, and accessibility of it that, that it, in most communities you have a rink and you have sheets that are open and it's affordable um, relative to other places in, in the country. So I think that's what 
is really a distinguishing factor in Minnesota is we're, you know, again, we're dealing with guys from everywhere, from Calgary, Boston, Chicago, Detroit, Florida, California, everywhere. And I think that's been the real interesting thing in, in Minnesota is hopefully without too much climate, climate change here, that the outdoor rinks still keep going, but you know, just an accessibility of ice and, and how much that helps, um, the development. And, and I found the same in, in Boston here. Now that I got some little guys like our little community rink, when there's not practice on the ice is, is free. So I'm taking my little guys out all the time. I'm hoping that they take after their uncle more than me. <laughs> having a lot of teams and having an easy way to get there and carpool your kids there and stuff. So I think that is what's been nice because the kids grow up in it. They grow up playing with their friends as opposed to driving four hours across town um, to practice every day with guys that they don't go to school and don't know. Um, and then that builds up into, as we just talked about in the same way that kind of the OHL might be the culmination for a lot of guys in, in Ontario that playing in a state tournament or playing even in, in section playdowns or whatever it might be that for a lot of kids is the culmination of their sporting career, which, yeah, which I can is. really appreciate as, as I was not an amazingly talented hockey player either. And, and some of my favorite memories were the same. We're playing in, it wasn't nearly the same scale, but the New York state high school tournament was also a big deal in, in kind of that same way that you can play in front of your family in front of your friends and have that be a memory that you can go for because there's so few of these guys who are ever going to play pro hockey or division one hockey or right whatever that if you can have kind of that good sporting memory um and, and through a high school thing or, or for some people there it might be the it might be the Bantam single A might be as high as they go. It might be Pee Wee, right. you know, whatever it is. But whatever that is, if they if they love it, they have that memory of playing with their friends. So that's what's been going. I think that kind of fuels what we say. I think that fuels kind of the passion for guys because they're competitive with their friends. They want to be around the friends, but they're still playing at a high level. And then everybody, you know, kind of outgrows it at a different at a different pace for Minnesota high school. I think that's what's nice too. You can leave um, when you're 14 if you want to sign a tender. You can go and stay all the way through um your senior year and win mr hockey and then go on to the ushl or right into school from there so i think it's nice you don't have to leave um lots of options yeah there's a ton of options which is might be a theme as i go back and listen to all i've been jabbering about here that that we're a huge fan of is 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 options and finding one that's right for you and, and i think minnesota provides that which is great absolutely absolutely well brian i really appreciate you coming on to uh, today's show and uh, sharing your thoughts and about your business and, and your type of business and the way you, you conduct business and, and some of the trends here related to hockey related to minnesota and the landscape across all of north america we really, really appreciate your time to learn more about brian and his agency go to bartletthockey.com and uh, appreciate the time can't wait to run into you at the rink much sooner than later for that <laughs> Yeah, uh, no kidding. Hopefully we all start up here uh, soon. And thanks for having me on. All right. Take care, Brian. All right. Bye now. Love is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring. <laughs>